Welcome to the Everyone's a Critic Movie Review Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bob Zarrell. With me, as always, is professional film critic Sean Patrick. Visit us at IHateCritics.net, Everyone's a Critic Podcast.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Our handle is CriticsPod. Listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Alexa, all your podcatchers. If you do a rating, a uh, five-star rating, and let and let us know you did that on either our social media platforms or our email critics at ihatecritics.net, uh, you'll be entered entered into a chance, or you'll win a copy of a While Supplies Last, a copy of what, Sean? Deliver us from evil or uh, uh, the Great War of Archimedes. And you can find more information on those that are pinned to the top of our Twitter and Facebook pages. Uh, we are live on YouTube's YouTube Monday evening, Sunday morning, Sunday night, depending on what our schedule is. Uh, we will post a link on our social media as well if you want to watch that. And then patreon.com slash criticspod, the best way to help support the podcast. And if you want to get some of our podcast merch, head over to IHateCritics.net and click on our T Public link or just search for us in T Public. Uh, let's just jump right into the show. Let me get the pictures up here and we can get started for our YouTube audience. And we'll start with Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard. I could not believe they made a sequel to this movie. The first movie isn't as, isn't much of a movie to begin with. Uh, you know, the Ryan Reynolds, Samuel L. Jackson, Salma Hayek's in there as well in the first one. And it, it's, it's not great. It's not terrible it samuel l jackson and ryan reynolds are funny together uh they've got good chemistry and there are a lot of really laugh out loud moments in that movie but it wasn't much of a movie and i was and i really didn't realize just how much money it made and how little it cost it only cost about 30 million dollars the first film and it made you know nearly 200 million worldwide so i guess it makes sense that there's a sequel but i I was still surprised (laughs) when it was announced and uh now here it is um same premise, similar premise. Uh, not really. Uh, Ryan Reynolds isn't even really playing a bodyguard this time. He's more of a kidnap victim. <laughs> and, uh, he's, uh, ostensibly, he's been called in by Selma Hayek to uh, help retrieve Samuel L. Jackson, who's been supposedly taken hostage. That lasts all of about 10 minutes. And then uh, they get roped into a plot where they have to stop Antonio Banderas from uh, blowing up all of Europe's infrastructure somehow doesn't really matter uh this is another not very good movie uh that has some big you know laughs in it like Selma Hayek's really funny in this movie uh Ryan Reynolds has his moments but this is not a classically Ryan Reynolds kind of role uh I've always talked about you know the Bugs Bunny thing and it's a big deal with me it's one of my favorite film theories you know like Eddie Murphy is the ultimate movie version of Bugs Bunny. Ryan Reynolds took that over from him for a, for a number of years after Van Wilder, where he's just got to be the coolest guy in any room that he's in. And, and it, it, it reminded me again, like when in those episodes of Bugs Bunny, when, when he's not the guy, when he's getting beat by somebody, he's not Bugs Bunny. He's not as much fun. And here he's not much fun. Uh, it, honestly, I think director Patrick Hughes actually hates Ryan Reynolds based off of this, based off of the evidence of this movie. He really doesn't like him. He does horrible things to him throughout the entire movie and never lets him get one moment to to celebrate. Uh, everything is at his expense. He never gets over on anybody. Everybody's getting over hit on him constantly. And I honestly guess I can't 
get over the idea that that the director really doesn't like Ryan Reynolds and really wants to take him down a peg. And uh, that's re- really not for me. That's not really much fun to watch. Uh, like I said, there are some big laughs in this movie. Salma Hayek gets most of them, but uh, I, I don't recommend this movie. I don't think it's very good. I think it's a ton of fun. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he's not playing Bugs Bunny in this role. And I know that Ryan Reynolds does that a lot, uh, but he's not in this role. And he's playing more of a pathetic guy. And it's it's funny. Uh, Selma Hayek, you're right, is the funniest thing in this movie. But all three of them have great chemistry. I think, I mean, Samuel L. Jackson is playing Samuel L. Jackson. You can't, I don't know how versatile he can be. <laughs> But they definitely want him to be the guy that says motherfucker and be the kind of badass. Ryan Reynolds is just a pathetic character, but it's funny. Uh, you can just tell they enjoy making this movie. And for all its flaws, the fun comes out in the performances. Uh, they know how dumb the movie is. I mean, overboard is like the, an underlying theme of this movie. And it's... <laughs> I laugh because Selma Hayek made that made that work, and so did Benderis. Honestly, seeing those two together, they had really amazing chemistry. They picked up right where oh, yeah. they left off from Once Upon a Time in Mexico. Right, and it wasn't. Yeah, it was just. I don't know. It was a fun movie to watch. Like I'll take this over a cool slick action movie anytime because I, I'd rather have the 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 banter between the characters. The just the joy coming out of their their performances that that alone makes it worth watching. Am I going to watch it a million times over? Probably not, but I mean, I might watch it again. I've seen Hitman's Bodyguard maybe two or three times now. Just kind of in, you know, it's just been on. I've never turned it on on my own, but it's it's on HBO, I think. So it's fun to go to sleep to, and those movies matter in a way. I mean, I like to go to sleep to you know, South Park or a lethal weapon and just something that I'm used to. Now I'd prefer those over this by a lot. Don't get me wrong, but I love Ryan Reynolds. I love Samuel Jackson. I love Selma Hayek and they all do a great job here. Antonio Banderas is fun. The, the twist was kind of funny. It would have been funnier if they had Kevin Costner, I think. Uh, but this is the next best thing, I suppose. Uh, I don't know if that's a spoiler. I mean, there's posters of Morgan Freeman on it, so spoiler <laughs> alert. Morgan Freeman right. plays Ryan Reynolds' dad. And they play with it just long enough so it's funny. They don't overdo it. Uh, uh-huh. It's, I mean, it's it's stupid as hell. Like you said, they're trying to blow up Europe, basically. That's how silly this is. It might as well be Scooby-Doo. Uh, and he he's more playing Shaggy than Bugs Bunny. Uh, let's just how about that? <laughs> he's he's the expense of everything, but somehow in the end he makes it work. Uh, I don't know. It, it, that's all this movie is, though. So I mean, from a critical perspective, you're 100 percent right uh, for everything you're saying. But just as a throwaway popcorn movie, this I'd take this over James Bond any day. At the oh yeah, I mean that, that I agree with that. But I I don't really like the James Bond movies. <laughs> well, I, I didn't want to. I mean, I, I'd, I'd include Mission Impossible and Fast and the Furious as well, but uh, I didn't want to. <laughs> I knew you'd agree with me on James Bond. <laughs> I think part of my problem is, is that this this isn't nearly dumb enough. It should be dumber. <laughs> like it's dumb, but it's not dumb enough. Fast and the Furious is like the dumbest thing on the planet, and it knows it, and that, but that's why I love it. This one, uh, there, there's just not enough dumb. But the I, I I'll take the performances here over the 
the stale performances in Fast and the Furious. Like Vin Diesel, I don't ever need to see him again. And I, I get why people like it. Don't get me wrong. I uh-huh. just, I, I like. I, I'd rather have a halfway dumb movie with fun. Perf- I mean, we've talked about with like the Adam Stanley movies, like Grown Ups. How you know they had a ton of fun making that, but it does not translate on the screen at all. <laughs> I, I do think it translates here a little more. Uh, at least it did for me, and that's and that that's why I enjoyed it. But I mean, more than anything, though, you were a hundred percent right. And in your review, I think you even stated even more. Selma Hayek owns this movie. Uh, <laughs> she's really great. She is so much fun. Everything, and, and she's just having a blast. And uh, and it's hard to up, outshine Ryan Reynolds and Samuel Jackson, and she does here. And it really is. I don't know. This movie knows what it is, and because of that, I enjoyed it. Anything else on the hitman's wife's bodyguard? <laughs> not really. And I'm not I'm not nearly as big a fan as you are. Yeah. All right. Maybe this will work. Luca. <laughs> Luca is a movie I forgot to watch. <laughs> Sweet, because I forgot to watch it too. I totally intended to watch it and I completely forgot. And it was the one movie that was trending this weekend. And I kept looking at it on Twitter going, Oh yeah, I need to watch that. Now, did this go to the theaters or is it strictly Disney plus strictly Disney plus? Yeah. I was surprised. All right. It's there. If you want to watch week? it, yeah, maybe. <laughs> it'll fit right in with our theme. All right. Let's move on to, this is cut off. Apparently a killer's escape. Killers Escape stars uh, Saul Williams as a drug dealer who uh, lives in Toronto and uh, is looking to get out of the drug business. Uh, they've just legalized uh, marijuana at this point in his story in Canada. And uh, he wants to get out because he doesn't figure that uh, there's going to be that much money to be made competing with the government. Uh, so he, he wants to get out. His partners obviously don't want him to, but uh, all of this gets interrupted when he arrives to make a drop and pick up his last uh, essentially a bag of cash uh, but when three teenagers are in the middle of a robbery uh, they take his money, they take his drugs and they and they run off uh, but one, leaving one of them behind uh, this one happens to be a kid who can't talk uh, but he can at least, at the very least, give him an idea of where his friends are and then Saul Williams' character can go Akila can go and take the money back what he discovers along the way, though, is that these kids are affiliated with a uh, with a Jamaican gang that happens to be the same Jamaican gang that his father initiated him into as a child. And it starts leading him to have these flashbacks to him about his father, uh, his abusiveness, the way his father's life ended. And it's uh, got a lot of twists and turns to it. Saul Williams is a really commanding presence and a, a really exciting actor to watch. He's a. Uh, He's got this quality to him that you just can't take your eyes off of. Uh, you know, he can seem a little bit sleepy, but to me, I just found him compelling, uh, endlessly compelling. And and I found this movie to be fascinating. I, I really uh, I really enjoyed this, and I didn't expect to, considering the premise is you know, rather familiar, you know, gangsters and drugs and, and so on. And you know, there's one big gangster who was over everybody and all that stuff, but but truly, that stuff doesn't matter. What matters is Saul Williams and his performance and his, uh, you know, the way he weaves in this life story and the and the story about Jamaican gangs into this uh, modern story here is really, uh, really terrific. And I really enjoyed this movie a lot. Well, that's a bummer. I 
I didn't think the trailer looked that good, so I didn't watch it. Uh, <laughs> it looks a little low red when you look at it in the trailer, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, outside of this poster clearly being cut off, it kind of <laughs> looks neat. Uh, you know, this is the most that I've wanted to see it now that you've talked about it a little bit. So it's kind of a bummer. Uh, I believe it's streaming right now, correct? Yes, yes it is. All right, well, I'll have to check that one out. That's... That sucks. I missed that one. Uh, anything else on Achilles Escape before we move on? No, I mean, I look for it. Uh, see it. It's it's a good movie. Songs for a Sloth. Songs for a Sloth uh, is a terrific movie. Uh, this is about uh, a guy whose dad has just died, and he's uh, dealing with the grief and loss of that alongside his brother, who's not much help. He's kind of a, a layabout it doesn't really do much. And then he's got a sister who's a uh, an influencer, who's the, which they treat very genuinely. They don't go for the easy jokes on that. You can do a lot of influencer jokes, and this movie is much smarter than that. Uh, but the idea here is that uh, he's the guy, the, he's the middle brother. He's got to deal with the Richard Holland. Uh, he's the middle brother. He's got to deal with all of this stuff. And he, what he gets dropped out of is essentially that his dad has left behind this sloth sanctuary this u.s this american sloth sanctuary that's right behind uh their house uh they need ten thousand dollars in order to keep it there and there's basically just one sloth in this entire forest and at night when he goes to sleep he has these dreams where the sloth speaks to him in the voice of jack mcbrayer and tells him things and uh gives him ideas and he starts to rediscover his himself specifically his love of music and how he can use that to maybe raise the money and they begin a, a campaign to raise money to save the sloth and it's fraught with all sorts of problems uh it, <laughs> this movie is really sneakily as as weird as it is about you know having a, a puppet sloth with that talks uh it's really a movie about grief and about the sneaky ways in which grief can express itself whether it's him you know in the front in the backyard trying to dig up his old dog because uh his dad told him to move the body before they sell the house or <laughs> just these ways he wants to please his dad even though he never pleased his dad while he was alive uh those ways that grief can kind of sneak up on you that's really the sneaky underlying element of this movie and uh i what that's what i really loved about it Maybe I was fooled, but I, I I thought it had a lot of hipster in it based on the yeah. trailer and the poster <laughs> right. here. Uh, yeah. So I did avoid it as well. <laughs> Am I misguided on that thought? Because it sounds I'm, like maybe it's possibly made by someone who dabbles in hipstery stuff. But it seems I can like definitely see where where people would look, would take that perspective of it. Yeah, uh, it definitely has some of that to it, but I think, I think it's grounded well enough uh, in this uh, main performance uh, that, that really, I, I didn't, I didn't really fall into that trap. Uh, Cause like I said, I was more focused on how, how smart the movie was about dealing with grief and still being funny. Damn it. want to watch that one now too. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that one also is a that one. Might, is that Amazon or is that all streaming services? I think it's all streaming services. All right, and then whenever you watch this one, I'll never know. <laughs> the, the Serpent, not the series on Netflix that appears to be pretty decent. <laughs> no, it's the this serpent. piece of garbage. 
This movie is so bad. Uh, it is written, directed, produced, uh, and starring a woman named Gia Scova. And uh, Gia Scova is not somebody who can direct, write, or act in a movie. Uh, she's not very good at it. Uh, this is a movie about, ostensibly, this is a movie about a, a, con- a conspiracy within and without the CIA in which nuclear bombs are placed into the brains of Chinese orphans who are then to be uh, adopted out to around the world. And uh, five years later, they're once they're five years old, their brains are supposed to explode and kill a billion people. We're told this. <laughs> We're told this in a scene in which Gia Scova's character, she pops up out of the backseat of this LAPD detective's car and starts to tell him the plot. The movie cuts away from her telling you what the plot is and comes back to him responding, man, what an amazing story. You're going to have to tell this other CIA guy about that. And she goes, I already did. (laughs) Like they basically just yada, yada. The fact that there are children with nuclear bombs in their heads. <laughs> it's just so bad. Everything about this movie is just so terrible. They're trying. The guy who's the head of the CIA is trying to kill them. I think uh, he has he has a scene where he's firing a guy in the hallway, and he fires him. He fires him because you're an idiot and a loser. <laughs> That's reasoning. He's an idiot and a loser, which I guess that's a reason to fire somebody. I don't know if it's a reason to fire somebody from the CIA in the hallway, but still, it's a weird fucking movie. <laughs> There's a scene, so she's actually there, and she doesn't know it yet, but she she was there when they put the nuclear bombs into the orphan babies in the Chinese hospital, which looks strangely enough like the set of Children's Hospital, the TV show on, on Cartoon Network, Adult Swim, uh, dressed up with party party city favors <laughs> of a Japanese flavor. You get, I'm not sure Japanese do, do chi, or Chinese is it Japanese. I don't remember. doesn't matter because the, the movie doesn't care either. Whether it's <laughs> Chinese or Japanese. Uh, it's got like paper lanterns hanging in a hospital. <laughs> like, are you even trying? And just these like Chinese characters kind of slapped to the wall. Oh my gosh. This movie is so so amazingly terrible. Uh, it makes no sense. Uh, characters are are introduced haphazardly. She has a scene where she's uh, talking to a guy uh, who's supposed to go on the China mission, and she ends she ends up taking his place. And uh, they're talking like they don't know each other. And then the, she ends the scene going, "I would only do this for you," as if they've been friends for years. <laughs> It's like the scene, it is like the flower shop scene from the room. It's just absolutely brilliant. People at the CIA trading shifts like they're at Starbucks. <laughs> <laughs> just can't get enough. Uh, this movie is so amazingly bad. And uh, I just kind of love it that way. It makes me wonder what, you know, what she was trying to say. <laughs> You know, after all these years, we've gotten to learn what Tommy Weasels was trying to say because of the book and the disaster artist. But, you know, is she just trying to make a movie? Because, you know, to I think I think she really wanted to just be a be a film director and create a movie for herself. And and I'm I'm damn sure she 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 sat through a McKee class. 
<laughs> screenwriting. You can tell she t- she went to a screenwriting class because she's got elements of a screenplay. That uh, in my review, I compared it to something that uh, that uh, Donald from Adaptation would have come up with <laughs> as a mm-hmm. plot. It'd be perfect for that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I want to know more about this, but I don't know <laughs> if there is more about this. If it's you know, if it's all surface level, or if there's something deeper here that this is not something. This is not a satire. I, oh, I know I, that. I'm I know absolutely that. certain that this is a genuine, poignant effort on her part. Oh no, I, I totally buy that. I just—is it genuine bullshit or is it genuine something else? I guess is what I'm wondering. Because we always thought the room was genuine bullshit. It turns out he was trying to say something, and it just—it kind of made it even more fun the way he was saying what he was saying. Uh, yeah. He didn't know he was saying it, but it was. It was just kind of like, oh, okay, I get it. <laughs> I can't imagine there was anything here to get. <laughs> no, no, this is just this is just somebody who really needs some people in her life to tell her no. Yeah, uh, somebody in her because nobody nobody pulled her aside and said this doesn't work. There's just nobody who's telling her the truth while she's making this. Because if they did, they would have told her not to do anything that she did in this movie. Lucky for her, if you Google the serpent, (laughs) you got to put her name behind it. (laughs) (laughs) That's the only way to find it. But I urge you to find it, though, and just get together with some friends and really enjoy yourself. And this has nothing to do with her being a a model. That's that's just a misogynist way of thinking. She's not she's not a dumb person. I don't think there's anything dumb about her. She just she's just not somebody who has that uh, ability to. To make a, to direct a movie that makes sense, she just doesn't have that film language uh, that makes sense. And that you know, she could have, you know, she's somebody who just needed to go to a film school maybe first before she stepped right up into acting, writing, and directing. Well, that's the key too. Is she probably has no experience in any of that, right? And you now she's doing all of that. it. Now she's doing yeah. all of it. And making movies are hard. <laughs> yeah. You know? uh, <laughs> You think you're shooting stuff, and then you go to edit. You're like, "Oh shit, <laughs> I don't have everything I need." Right. So yeah, I no, I this is not bashing on her as a model or even a stupid person. It's just she probably bit off more than she could chew, and next thing you know, uh, you got a piece of crap. And but it sounds like it's fun. <laughs> so it's know. it's absolutely hilarious in in all the unintended ways. Uh. We got time. Let's go ahead and talk about a crime on the bayou. <laughs> Complete total shift here. <laughs> Let's talk about this. is a terrific documentary. Uh, this takes us back to uh, 1966 in Plaquemines Parish, Louisiana. Uh, a man is uh, driving along and he sees two of his young cousins being harassed by a group of white kids. He gets out of his car and stops alongside him and he ushers his cousins away into his car and gently places his hand on the arm of a young white man to just tell him to go on home. By the time he gets home from dropping off his cousins, the cops are already waiting for him, claiming that he assaulted this young white man, which he did, but he was arrested. And uh, thankfully his mom told him not to plead guilty Uh, in doing that. She was the one who then brought him together with his lawyer, uh, Robert Sobel, who, uh, ends up defending him all the way to the Supreme Court on this. And 
meanwhile, there's this, there's this just completely monstrous human being by the name of Leander Perez, who is today to this very day in the Louisiana political hall of fame, which is just disgusting. But of course, I mean, he's not alone. He's not alone. There's, there's probably hundreds of Leander Perez's over the years who, it took over small towns and just dominated them with, with their hatred and their vitriol and their political dealings. And he's just an awful human being who just wanted to, to make a lesson of this guy and, and to send a message to, to, to black people to never, never put your hands on a white man under any circumstance. And he was going to prove it. He was going to send this guy to jail for as long as he could to make his point. And then it became trying to just keep him in jail for a couple of days because he just he had to say he was guilty. And so they he just they take him to court. And you need to see it for yourself. But uh, thankfully, he just gets humiliated, which is is pretty wonderful. That's awesome. When does it come out? It is uh, available. I believe it should be available now on on uh, National Geographic on uh, the Disney Channel. OK, I did not check there. I believe that's where it is. It's possible the next one's National Geographic, if I'm or Discovery. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Uh, but th- that sounds fantastic, and I want to see it. I'll have to check there, though. Uh, oh, this one's something. Na- Rise Again, Tulsa, the Red Summer. That's natural, National Geographic. Yes. Uh, Rise Again, Tulsa, and the Red Summer. Um, it comes from director Don Porter and uh, features uh, Washington Post reporter Deneen Brown, who I interviewed for my other show. Uh, and it tells the story of uh, two, two years of just some of the ugliest, most disturbing violence against innocent people you've ever heard. I mean, there are Eastern European communist countries that, uh, that you don't have these types of stories from. Uh, in 1919, they called it the Red Summer because so much innocent blood from black people flowed across the entire United States from Arkansas to Washington, D.C., to St. Louis, to Chicago. It was everywhere. Hundreds, hundreds of people murdered in the streets, beaten, jailed for no good reason. Uh, two years later, Tulsa happens. Tulsa is the... Uh, where, where they had what they called Black Wall Street, this thriving uh, neighborhood of, of black people who were making good money, who were you know, developing businesses and, and thriving to the point where, again, they called it Black Wall Street. And one day this kid gets off an elevator and bumps into the, the elevator operator. She screams and somebody else claims that there was, a, that there was an assault. It goes in the paper the following day and a group of white people get together and they go and burn down the town. They murder 300 people and bury them in mass graves that are still being uncovered as we speak. Yeah, it's a story that you don't, I mean, it exists that people knew, but not to the level they should have. And it feels like yeah. only recently that it's really starting to be more for lack of a better phrase, mainstream. Uh, it's just now starting to get into the culture, you know, where everybody can kind of start hearing about it. Uh, it's just, I don't know. 100 years is not that long ago. No. Well, and we live in a, we live in small areas, uh, you know, in Midwest. And I, I guess there's people when you, you say Black Lives Matter, and they're like, oh, God, I don't want to talk politics. 
this just needs to go away. Why can't we just be, you know, all lives matter? And they just don't get it, you know? They, yeah. We don't know the experience, so why do we get to decide what their experience was? You know, why can't we just listen and learn and then try to adjust the way we think and act? And it's, I don't know, it's really bad around here. <laughs> and it's probably a lot, a lot of places. I mean, you look at our last election, it was damn near 50-50 of the people that voted and it's and a lot of it comes back to this kind of stuff and it's I just I don't know I I don't know how you can watch this and then just be like oh, it was only 300 <laughs> you know that's just Ugh, yeah I, I don't I don't know it's and I didn't see this I've seen there's been other documentaries about Tulsa that have popped up recently uh, so I've been you know that's kind of where I've been kind of up to speed with but it, it's just i don't know it's heartbreaking it's horrible and i it seems like it should be common sense we should all be on the same page on this one it doesn't and we're just not and it bums yeah, me out it, it really does it's a, it is awful uh and and the, one of the other things that this documentary implies is that as bad as Tulsa is, Elaine, Arkansas might be just as bad, but the state of Arkansas won't let them recover the bodies from an empty space. It's an empty lot, and they won't let them look for the bodies, uh, the mass graves of people from Elaine, Arkansas. And that's just Arkansas is already a shame as it is, uh, but uh, truly this is, this is just an even deeper shame for that already shameful state. I just, I don't even know where to begin or even how to move on. Right. Uh, <laughs> but we'll try. Uh, here, let me click the music. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the main event for the linear, legitimate, and universally recognized, undisputed classic. Deliverance. Uh, Deliverance, 1972, starring uh, John Voigt, uh, Burt Reynolds, uh, Ronnie Cox, and uh, the man who inspired us to talk about this, Ned Beatty, who uh, just recently passed away at the age of 83. Uh, four guys uh, go on a raft, a canoe trip on the on a river in the in a very rural portion of Georgia. Uh, the river is set to be uh, the home to a hydroelectric dam, which will pretty much bring an end to you know its natural beauty, as uh, Burt Reynolds' character puts it. And, uh, the conflict is set up r- right at the very beginning between the you know, progress and you know tradition, and uh, that conflict kind of runs throughout the the movie. Um, how other scenes play into that conflict kind of leaves one to wonder. But nevertheless, uh, you know which scene I'm talking about because it's really the main reason anybody remembers this movie is that scene, uh, Squeal Like a Pig. Uh, And and that scene is incredibly divisive. And uh, it's hard to know what to say about it, Uh, which I guess in a way is kind of impressive uh, that that it it exists, that uh, a director went there. Uh, and and it doesn't feel like he was. It doesn't feel like he was not thinking of the consequence of it. I think he. I think John Borman had a had a purpose in showing this. Had a purpose in in putting this in this movie. 
uh, to shock you and to make you think about this. And I still don't know how I feel about how it is presented in the movie. Uh, it, it is shocking and horrifying and, uh, in all the ways that you know, it would be in real life. But what does it have to do with the point of this movie? <laughs> <laughs> it would be like if the crying game that scene meant nothing to the rest of the movie. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you're hundred percent right. It's, and I don't, I mean, part of it could be because it's so iconic and, I'd never seen this movie, but I knew that scene. I hadn't even seen the scene, but I knew it. Uh, and you got the dueling banjo thing at the beginning, too. I guess that's memorable as well. But all of it's fairly early on, and then you sold the rest of the movie. Uh, and part of me thinks it's because of the place it's taken in the culture. And then the other part of it's like, well, Pulp Fiction exists and kind of did it more... I mean, they took this movie and put it in that scene, you know, one scene for five minutes or whatever in a much yeah. better movie. And then you get a movie like The Revenant, which just, you know, really wears you out because of how the, what the struggle was. And this is, it's just lesser than, and I, I, I don't know if it's fair to the movie that other movies have come along and been better. <laughs> Uh, or you know, I I, I, I think it, when this came out in the time, it probably was a lot more powerful and more, meant more. But the movie itself is just—I keep going back to the phrase "lesser than." I don't know. It's nothing. It it just seems like it just is that scene and maybe the dueling banjos, and that's all there is here. And your star is not even in those scenes. Yeah, uh, it's amazing how little. Uh, Burt Reynolds is in this movie. Uh, it, at least, I mean, he's there, but he uh, like through the last act, he's unconscious. Right. <laughs> and really, he is the he's the focal point. He's where your eye goes. As much as John Voight is the essentially the star, Burt Reynolds is where your eye goes when you're watching the movie. Right. He's a magnetic movie star. Uh, and and that could just be time. You know, John Voight's not done anything to to help his legacy as, as a star. Uh, he was in Baby Geniuses. <laughs> and I don't know when Burt Reynolds became a huge star, if it was before or after this. Uh, this was the this was the start of it, but you know, the movies that came after it were the, okay. the he reason. Was, he wasn't quite the movie star at the time then. This broke him out. Uh, this was the first big hit. Uh, then he went on to make Smokey and the Bandit, and that's really what made him like a global superstar, uh, box office legend. Uh <laughs> Uh, the, the lasting legacy of this movie is so weird. Like, it, obviously, Squeal Like a Pig is something that haunted Ned Beatty for the rest of his life. To to even to, to the point in 1989, 16 years after this movie, he wrote an op-ed in the New York Times about how men the the fear that men have of being raped is what causes them to act out and bully him to that day. You know, people would walk. People would see him walking down the street and yell, "Squeal like a pig." And he said it was out of their own insecurity that they did that. And he, how this movie reflected male insecurity in that way. And he's absolutely right. He's absolutely right about that. That's a, a perfectly revealing thing to, to have pointed out. Uh, <laughs> then, you, of course, you have the legacy that Georgia takes away from this and the South takes away from this, of this 
you know, backward hillbilly country that uh, uh, still persists to this day, which is, you know, not the truth uh, of what the South really is. Uh, but it became, it became the meme of the, of the 70s that this is, you know, this, this type of backwards, backwoods redneck is who they are. Uh, but at the same time, as much as Georgia wrestles with that with that uh, legacy, they welcomed deliverance because in the immediate aftermath, tourism exploded, <laughs> which makes no sense to me. But based off of the the scene that this is mostly known for, men were like, "I can't wait to go on a canoe trip." <laughs> I would really? think you'd get the opposite of that, but no, Georgia, yeah, huge tourism boom from deliverance. <laughs> yeah i mean part of me thinks the reason that seems so memorable is due to the male insecurity uh or the certain males insecurity about being raped uh and i mean the movie has it too i mean they want the guy i mean that baby's character is like just bury him i don't ever talk of this again you know it's all about it's not all about that i mean they do other things that I mean, I just don't really know what this movie's about. <laughs> it, yeah. And it's just not that. Because <sighs> the theme gets muddied, really, by that scene. It takes it in a different direction. Uh, you know, there's been talk about this movie being about, uh, you know, masculine, uh, you know, about being a, being macho. And there's elements of that, sure. Uh, the, the thing that they set up at the very beginning in the voiceover is that uh, conflict between, you know, the the future and the past and that would you would think would be the theme of the movie, but it's not because that scene changes the way the movie, it dominates so much of the rest of the film that it doesn't really allow the movie to linger on that theme. And then the rest of the movie after that scene is just, it's all downhill. It's just, <laughs> uh, there's, they, they take it in a, in a direction that is very, very action movie after that. Right. And, and and uh, it's as if the movie is trying to apologize for what it just showed you by giving you a much more straightforward macho action movie in which John Voight climbs a mountain with his bare hands and and kills a guy with a bow and arrow. And you, you know, you're left. They leave the movie with that future and past thing where these guys now have to live with the secret the rest of their lives. But you don't care. You know, it's not powerful where you're just like, oh, my God. You know, you don't feel that struggle, you know, or that that potent, that future. They should really leave you on a, you know, feeling down and like, oh, my God, similar to something like The Revenant did. <laughs> where I was just like, I want the movie to be over because I, it's great, but it's just beating me up. This doesn't do that. And, again, I don't know if it's because stuff comes out that's been better. If that scene, I, you're, I think you're probably right. That scene is so eye-catching that it distracts from the rest of the movie overwhelms the whole thing and on top of that these these main characters who are following you don't want bad things to happen to them at the same time they're not nice guys i mean you know burt reynolds is constantly making fun of of ned Beatty. ned Beatty, one of the first things he does when you see him is he starts making fun of this old guy he walks up to him and goes hey mister i like the way you wear that hat and it's like, why? Why are you doing this? Then he goes over to Burt Reynolds and says, hey, hey, go ask that guy about his hat. Like, he's trying to be one of the boys. He's trying to be one of the boys. And and he's not. <laughs> because he's going to spend the rest of the movie being uh, tortured and made fun of. Uh, nobody, in the, nobody in the movie is really 
a good guy. I mean, Ronnie Cox's character, I guess, comes the closest to being uh, a genuinely good person. But then he, even he's kind of making fun of the kid that he's playing banjos with a little bit. I mean, even with that, it doesn't make sense. It's a cool scene. I mean, that's a great you know performance of that song. It's really cool to see. But you're right. It, it, it's maybe he's making fun. Maybe he's not. Either way, he doesn't fit into the what's going on with everything else. And you don't particularly like anybody. And it's it, it's not you know as far out there as like Last House on the Left or I Spit on Your Grave. But it's not quite. I don't know. It's just kind of this. I, I, when you said action movie, it just it, I, I just keep going back to lesser than. It's not that great. Uh, it's important scene. There are powerful scenes, I guess. But it's interesting to note that uh, the the writer of the movie, who who also was uh, uh, wrote the screenplay and wrote the book, it was based on the poem it was based on. Uh, he wanted Sam Peckinpah to direct this. And you've got to imagine that Sam Peckinpah is not going to make the same movie as John Borman. And the reason they wanted Borman, uh, Warner Brothers wanted Borman is because he made him, there was going to make a much more commercial movie, even as he was going to keep that scene in there, which is obviously not a commercial scene, but they weren't going to tell you that going into it. <laughs> so, and then everybody basically after you see it, after some people see it, it becomes a curiosity that everybody has to see. And that's, that's kind of a ball rolling down the hill. But, uh, Peck and Paul would not have made a movie that that was as commercial as this. Like that third act would not be as commercial. It would be more like what he did with Straw Dogs, which is uh, a better movie, a better movie about violence, better movie, frankly, about masculinity and being and being humiliated, and the the way that men feel the need to enact violence to to prove their masculinity. That's the 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 whole point of the Dustin Hoffman character in Straw Dogs is that. A man who his wife is raped essentially almost in front of him, and he cracks and has to go about enacting violence to prove himself again. Uh, the that is not what deliverance is. Deliverance doesn't go that direction. It goes another direction. It goes into a very commercial direction after that terrifically non-commercial scene. And you know, I don't know much about Burt Reynolds, but I could see specifically John Voight. You know masculinity is good you know there's no such thing as toxic masculinity you know you gotta you need you know the movie's about him <laughs> you know so it's and i could i don't know i mean maybe Burt reynolds was, was nothing like that but i could he looks like he could have been like that well, so, certainly the character is coded in that direction oh for sure and and that's the the weird that makes that that's another thing that makes this real like a pig scene so strange is that thematically if you're talking about masculine and masculinity and insecurity Really, Burt Reynolds should be in that scene, not Ned Beatty, because Ned Beatty's not necessarily the most macho guy. He's pretending it as much as he can, but he's not. Whereas I think it would be more thematically to the point if it was Reynolds' character in that situation, having his, you know, having established so much of his identity based on his masculinity, to have that happen to him would probably be a lot more interesting than it happening to somebody like Beatty, who's kind of the kind of guy who's always getting picked up. Which is why Tarantino barred a little bit from this movie and made it better when he put Ving Rhames in that scene. <laughs> yes. And, uh, yeah, I mean, honestly, because Pulp Fiction exists, you don't need to see this movie. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. I get really got nothing more. 
on Deliverance. <laughs> I'd never seen it, and you're right. I mean, everything, it's kind of that, that was, I felt like it was kind of one of the movies I hadn't seen that everybody else had, so let's knock it off the list and use Ned Beatty's passing as an excuse to see it, and I don't feel any different for having seen it. <laughs> uh, anything else before we move on? That's it. That's all I got. All right. 1991, I don't know what you watched, but I'm hoping nothing because I didn't watch anything. <laughs> But Dying Young with Julia Roberts. I tried to watch this movie. It's not available anywhere. You, you can't find this movie anywhere. Have you ever seen it? I I think so. I think I saw it in theaters because I was a I, I had a huge crush on uh, Julia Roberts and my mom loved her from uh, Pretty Woman. So I, I'm pretty sure I saw it in theaters and, and and I was bored to tears if I recall correctly. Was anything like this poster? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we got the Rocketeer. Yeah, I, I definitely remember seeing the Rocketeer as a kid. It's available on Disney Plus if you want to watch it. Uh, just Billy Campbell is not a movie star. Like he just does not hold the screen at all, <laughs> at all. Uh, and it's unfortunate. He's a handsome guy, but look at him. Look at his eyes. There's just emptiness. There's just a big black void behind those eyes. Well, that's why they put a mask on him and a helmet. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I mean, this is, I, I remember not liking it as a kid, and I haven't gone back. Uh, clearly, yeah. Siskel and Ebert liked it, so maybe clearly. I'm wrong. Uh, oh, for those watching, you can see the two thumbs up. You, those listening, you have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, if you go to our YouTube channel and watch it live, we got the Rocketeer poster with Siskel and Ebert's two thumbs up. Yeah, it's interesting. It. Just a just a, a, a quick aside, how many kids who, who would be listening right now, younger people who, you know, 20 years old, you hear two thumbs up and they, they have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> you just have to make us feel old. <laughs> They're like Roper and Ebert or Ebert and Roper. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus. And then I've never seen this one where anger is Yeah, I, didn't, fear to I didn't see it either. Didn't, right. didn't look for it. Okay. Well, that is our show. Before we get the flick chart, uh, I want to remind you to go to patreon.com slash critics pod to help support the podcast. If you want some of our merch, I hate critics.net and click on the T public link. And then if you want to rate and view the show, we have some movies for you. Uh, if you head over to our Facebook pages, Facebook or Twitter, uh, and look at the pin page with information on uh, what you got to do to have a chance to win some movies. Uh, give us a five star review and then let us know you did that either by going to critics at ihatecritics.net, sending us an email there, or letting us know on our Facebook and Twitter uh, that you left a review. And what do they get if they do that, Sean? We've got the uh, uh, two Blu rays uh, there's uh, Deliver Us from Evil, and uh, there's. Uh the Great War of Archimedes about the sinking of the largest battleship in war history. Excellent. Next week, we got Fast 9. Uh, there's a documentary on HBO called LFG. Uh, we're going to watch a movie called Bad Detectives. There's also a, a Harvey Keitel film, Lansky. Uh, also, we get to or not, I don't know, but A24 is a movie coming out called False Positive. And Netflix has a movie called Ice Road. Uh, our classic's going to be Bad Lieutenant, just because of Bad Detective and a, and a separate Harvey Keitel movie. 
And the Naked Gun two and a half comes out, and so you can throw that in there too. Is why we're <laughs> doing bad lieutenant, I guess. Uh, but let's move on and play some flick chart. Uh, let's see if I can get this going here. Better than last week. All right, American Gangster paycheck. American Gangster. Agreed. As much as I love a good Mel Gibson revenge film, Four Brothers, Modern Times. Modern Times. I love Four Brothers. I think it's a good movie. I haven't seen either. Uh, Nightmare Before Christmas, Lara Croft, Tomb Raider, The Cradle of Life. Nightmare Before Christmas. Platoon Hook. (laughs) Want to flip the coin? No. (laughs) I can handle Platoon being overrated, but come on, Hook sucks. I never hated Hook. I don't know why people hate it so much. Yeah, well, Platoon's a good movie. Maybe it's not as good as <laughs> as reputation, but it's still good. Okay, fine. You can have it. <laughs> Batman Forever, <laughs> The Lost Boys. Good God. I actually hate The Lost Boys more than I hate Batman Forever. So, Yeah, I'm going to go with you. Only did you, I mean, I'm assuming you've heard about the Batman controversy right now, right? What the Schumacher cut? No, uh, I guess I saw that a, trending on Twitter. I don't know what's ta- what's about. There's this cartoon on HBO called Harley Quinn. Okay, and, I did hear this. And in it, DC made them cut a scene of Batman going down on Catwoman. <laughs> no. Yeah, they said that they said that heroes don't do that. I say only heroes do that. <laughs> But then all of a sudden, randomly, people just weigh in here and there. And Val Kilmer weighed in. And he put a scene from the Batman Forever with Nicole Kidman behind him. And it says, will he, won't he? Uh, And (laughs) I don't know. I just, the fact that, like, everybody seems to be randomly weighing in on this (laughs) stupid controversy (laughs) is entertaining to me. Uh, I mean, come on. Michael Keaton ate pussy. Come on. You know he did. You know he did. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're telling me George Clooney hasn't. (laughs) Ben Affleck, maybe Christian Bale hasn't. I could see him being a little masculine, maybe. But all the other Batmans, Adam West. I could see Bale being stingy. Yeah. (laughs) He's like, I got mine. Adam West, uh, obviously. (laughs) 127 hours, Horton, here's a who. 127 hours. Yeah. Uh, Battle for the Planet of the Apes, Snowpiercer. Snowpiercer. Agreed. Munich, Men in Black 2. Munich. Yes. Naked Gun, 33 and a third. Megaforce? (laughs) What the fuck is that? Megaforce is one of the funniest movies ever made. Oh, which one's funnier? You, You pick. I'll just go with yours. I I would say probably Naked Gun, but uh, if you're watching with friends, Megaforce is absolutely hilariously terrible. Winchester Snake Eyes. Snake Eyes. I don't like either one of them, but that's fine. Panic Room Hop. Panic Room. Yeah, as much as I halfway like Hop. <laughs> Liar, liar, walking tall. 
Walking Tall 1973, not the rock version. Yes. Uh, still, I would pick Liar Liar either way, but still. <laughs> Agreed. Serendipity, The Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Rings. The Revenge of Josh. <laughs> he loses. I mean, he either way. <laughs> Lord decide. of the Rings. <laughs> we should have just seen found his list to see which one's higher and go with the lower one. <laughs> the good, the bad, and the ugly, Hancock. Good, the bad, the ugly. Agreed. Uh, crazy, stupid love, Footloose. Uh, I don't care. What do you pick? <laughs> I haven't seen either one of these. I'm going to pick that. <laughs> a Prairie Home Companion, <laughs> Dune. Prairie Home Companion is actually a really good movie. I would pick that over Dune, honestly. Good. I'll pick a lot of things over Dune because I remember not liking it. Well, I'll, we'll revisit <laughs> it here in a little bit, yeah. but... K-19, The Widowmaker, 12 Angry Men. 12 Angry Men. Agreed. Man About Town, Crawl. Man About Town. Even though I don't remember it at all. (laughs) I'm just kind of sick of these. I don't give a shit about either of these movies lists. Uh, Right. Kingsman, The Secret Service, Rudy, the most overrated Uh, sports movie of all time. Rudy. I don't care. Batman yeah, Forever, care Annie Hall. Annie Hall. Yeah. Life of Pi, Constantine. Life of Pi. Yeah. Step Brothers, Stir of Echoes. Stir of Echoes. Very underrated. Commando, The Color of Money. Color of Money. Yeah, I hate Commando. <laughs> Kung Fu Panda 2, Bruce Almighty. Uh, Bruce Almighty. Scrooged, The Great Escape. Scrooged. Yeah, I feel like that's bad, but... (laughs) Gone Baby (laughs) Gone. Gone Baby Gone, Trading Places. Honestly, if there are any 60-year-old men listening, we're sorry. Okay, we're sorry you didn't pick your movie. (laughs) Gone Baby Gone. Yeah, I do love Trading Places, but that's a great movie. Birdman, Rocky Two. Birdman. Creed. Uh, Joe Dirt, Dennis the Menace. Dennis the Menace. They're both garbage. Give a fuck. Superman 4, Bad Boys. Bad Boys. That's an easier one. House of Flying Daggers, The Day of the Earth Stood Still, 2008. House of Flying Daggers. Mm -hmm. X-Men Before Midnight. 1933 is before midnight. Yes. <laughs> Which I will take over X-Men. X-Men's not a movie. Uh, the Holiday, Robin Hood, Men in Tights. <laughs> Robin Hood, Men in Tights. Although I like The Holiday. Mr. Holland's Opus, Pulse. Uh, Mr. Holland's Opus. I don't remember Pulse at all. Uh, Good Morning Vietnam, Last House on the Left. Good Morning Vietnam. I know it's better, but I'm going to pick Last House on the Left, even though <laughs> it's got a soft spot for that time. Damn it. 
I'm going to flip it again because I technically won, but it bounced, and I want it to be fair, and you win the second flip. <laughs> uh, that was not a movie. American Graffiti, 10 Cloverfield Lane. 10 Cloverfield Lane. I agree. Young Guns, Breakfast at Tiffany's. <laughs> Young Guns. Basically, the only way Young Guns ever wins is if it's like offensive. <laughs> Tombstone. The only movie has to be really racist <laughs> right. for Young Guns to win. Tombstone, Ghostbusters 2. <laughs> Tombstone. Yeah. Godzilla, Almost Famous. Almost Famous, no question. Coco, Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. I know Coco's better, but I would rather watch Harold and Kumar. <laughs> yeah. Coco's kind of watch it once and you're done, kind of. Not that it, yeah. it's... I don't know. It's fine, but there's enough of those. The Dark Knight, Unbreakable. The Dark Knight. Man, that's hard. Unbreakable's been ruined by the sequels, or the last one, but I gotta go Unbreakable. That's hard. Really? Wow. The Dark Knight has a lot of holes in it. I know we disagree. God damn it, did it again where it didn't flip all the way. And I win. I'm going to flip and you're going to win. Fuck. <laughs> Dark, Knight. Dark Knight wins. Uh, I think I just think Unbreakable is pretty perfect, but yeah, Glass really sucks. So, <laughs> Naked Gun, 33 and a third, the Simpsons movie. Simpsons movie. Yeah. Hugo, Sunset Boulevard. Sunset Boulevard. Darkest Hour, American Hustle. American Hustle. Absolutely. Lake Placid, Catwoman. <laughs> Lake Placid. Betty White's funny. <laughs> Barack, is it? Oh, Barracuda. Conan the I don't think I've seen Barracuda, if I'm being honest. Is that the, or is that the James Cameron's first movie? I don't, I don't remember what he did. Seabiscuit or Conan the Barbarian. Seabiscuit. Freddy versus Jason, the wedding planner. Freddy versus Jason. Yeah. I would like to see those movies cross over. That would make me very happy. <laughs> that would be fun. I mean, that would Jennifer Lopez and Matthew McConaughey running for Freddy and Jason would be pretty freaking awesome. <laughs> Here's a good one. Before Sunrise, The Sixth Sense. Before Sunrise. I haven't seen it, so I'll go with you. Uh, Horrible Bosses, The Rundown. Rundown, actually. I think that's a a more fun movie. I like The Rock. I like Horrible Bosses better, but I don't don't care as much as I did the other two times. And I win this time. Uh, Shanghai Nights, Sahara. What the who gives Gosh, what? We haven't yeah. seen one of those. <laughs> Idiocracy, Father of the Bride, Part Two. Idiocracy. It's flawed, but it's more better yeah. than that mediocre crap. Fantastic Four, 2015, Zero Dark Thirty. Zero Dark Thirty, all the way. Blue Streak, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Blue Streak's not bad. No. Event Horizon, Army of Darkness. Army of Darkness. Yeah, Dude, Where's My Car, the Muppet movie. Muppet movie. 
suspense. I don't think we're going to be able to end on anything funny. In hindsight, <laughs> probably should have added a Dark Knight Unbreakable. <laughs> das Boot Heathers. Uh, Heathers. Because I would rather, because it's shorter, I'd rather watch it. <laughs> Honestly, most movies I'm going to take over Das Boot. <laughs> <laughs> the Da Vinci Code, Take Me Home Tonight. Take Me Home Tonight, because Da Vinci Code is awful. I haven't seen it. So Take Me Home Tonight was kind of charming. Kind of charming. All right. Avengers Infinity War, Good Morning Vietnam. Uh, that's tough. I didn't really love Infinity War. Uh, Good Morning Vietnam. If I take Good Morning Vietnam, that's me admitting I like Last House on the Left better than Avengers. Uh, I'm going to make you fit for it. <laughs> Avengers wins. I mean, I don't mind Good Morning. I just think it's fine. I don't love it. Secret I'm not Be- seeing Secret Beyond the Door. Thank God. Ah, oh, fuck. <laughs> Deadpool. Or the Devil's Rejects. Over the Devil's Rejects. Well, Devil's Rejects is one of my favorite movies ever, so I gotta... Are you kidding me? It's a top ten for me, man. I love that movie. <laughs> I know people are like, I'm gonna... Do it fair so it lands here. You're going to win anyway. You always do, but and you do. 